0: Well, uh, welcome to River City Church. Good to have you here. If you are new or visiting, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, as always, it is good to be with you guys. I'm looking forward to opening God's Word with you guys for the last time here at the hotel. Um, man, we're so excited about our new building. I was there until like ten o'clock last night, running wires inside the wall, so the internets will be fantastic, and um, so lots of good, lots of fun things on the he- ahead. Um, and so uh, this week, we're going to be finishing up our series, taking a look at the five solas of the Reformation. And next week, not only are we in a brand new building, but we're also going to be starting a new series going through, uh, just verse by verse, going through the book of Colossians. And that'll take us through, probably through sometime in late April or May or something like that. And, and uh Let's figure out where we're headed after that, but um, that's that's pretty standard here at River City. Usually, what we do uh, our series here in the Solas is, is kind of a little bit of kind of an anomaly. And usually, what we do is just pick a book of the Bible and just go through verse by verse. And the reason we do that is because we just want to care most about what God's Word says rather than what I come up with, and so we're just looking forward to being back, uh, studying through uh, a book of the Bible, just going through that in Colossians. But this morning, we're wrapping up our series on the five solas of the Reformation, and if you've been with us, we've talked about the five solas of the Reformation, our five truths, five fundamental foundational truths that express what we believe about uh, how we are how we come to know God and how we are made right with him. They are the summarization of what we believe the Bible teaches about salvation, that we are saved by grace alone, that's sola gratia, that we receive God's grace through faith alone, sola fida, that it is Christ alone who is the object of saving faith, solus Christus, and that scripture alone is the only final decisive authority on truth, sola scriptura. And all of this, all of this, culminates all of it leads to the fifth and final sola soli de gloria which is the last of all the solas and it is that we live for the glory of god alone the supremacy of scripture the sufficiency of faith of christ of of grace those things all lead us they all point us to the the last one to the glory of god you see, all the other souls lead up to this one. And the glory of God is the thing that ties all of them together, that unifies all of them. You see, soli de gloria, for the glory of God alone, is about the why the other ones exist. It's about the implications of the four other solas. It answers the question, why does it matter that Scripture alone is our highest authority? Why does it matter that our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Why does it matter that it doesn't have anything to do with our works? Why does it matter that it doesn't have anything to do with us meriting or keeping God's favor? Why is that so important? Why is it so crucial that we hold to those things? Why is it worth proclaiming and and fighting for the sufficient? efficiency of those things well it matters because god is relentlessly zealous for his glory god is relentlessly zealous for his glory in isaiah 42 verse 8 he says this he says i am the lord that is my name i will yield my glory to no one else god is the creator and the king of everything and so all of the glory in every corner of the universe belongs to him and he wants every ounce of it everything god has ever done everything god that ever that he ever will do is ultimately about him it is ultimately about his glory and that includes our salvation as one commentator writes simply put the fact that salvation is by faith alone through grace alone in christ alone without any meritorious contribution on our part ensures that all of the glory is god's and not our own likewise the fact that scripture alone is our final authority without any church tradition or personal experience or wisdom of man supplementing or overruling it protects the glory of God against every human conceit. You see the five sola's our salvation is ultimately about one thing. It is ultimately about the glory of God. And on the front, that can sound uh that can sound like a little off putting sometimes. That can sound like a little scary. A lot of times we kind of grow up with this mentality that like God is just a God of love and that it's about us and our salvation is like God just couldn't exist without us and he he just He was just like pacing around, like, what am I going to do by myself here? And That's just not the case. That's not the picture that the Bible paints. The picture that the Bible paints is that God is an incredibly good and loving God, that he is a good father. But above all, the picture that the Bible paints is that God is a righteous and holy God, and he deserves every ounce of glory in the whole of the universe. My heart, as we wrap up our time studying the five solas, as we uh, dig into Ephesians chapter one, is that you would see, Ah, oh man, what I want you guys to see this morning is that God's zealous pursuit of his own glory is the best, most freeing, most life-giving news we could ever possibly hope for. It is the best news in all the world because it is simultaneously the source of our life, our purpose, and our identity. So with that in mind, let's pray. We'll dive into God's word this morning. Go from there. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for our time together. God, we are so grateful that we get to sit under the authority of the teaching of your word. God, thank you just that it's been good news to my heart this week as I've studied it and as I've learned and as I've prepped. And God, I just, man, my heart's desire is that it would be good news to the rest of us this morning, that it would be encouraging, that it would be life-giving, God, and that it would be uh, inviting us to care about your glory the way you do. Pray that in your good name, God, for your great glory and for our good. Amen. Amen. We're in Ephesians chapter 1 this morning, beginning in verses 3 through 14. Apostle Paul writing here glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one that he loves and in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on and on earth under Christ for in him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will in order that we who are first to put our hope in christ might be for the praise of his glory and you also when you were included in christ when you heard the message of the truth the gospel of your salvation when you believed when you were marked with him by a seal the promise the promised holy spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are god's possession to the praise of his glory you see there are two ways that we often look at god there are two ways that we relate to god and the first is that we uh view ourselves as the author and the main character of the story of our lives. And we look at God and we see him as a participant in our story. We have a vision for where our life is going and where what we want to do and what we think we want to accomplish and what we think is most important. And what happens is we usually come to ask God to intervene when our story is not going the way that we want it to go. And so when we need a new job or a house or kids, or we need the approval of someone we really need that from, or when we just want a better marriage or a better life or more money or happiness or whatever it is, or we just want to escape a certain situation or whatever it is, we come to God and we ask him, God, help, help fix my story. Intervene in my story so that it will work out the way that I want it to go. And the problem with that thinking is what it always leads to is the the belief that we need to interact with God in such a way or we need to ask him in such a way in order to get his blessing, in order to get his favor, in order to keep his blessing so that our story will go the way that we want it to go. Just spoiler alert, that's not what the Bible teaches in any way at all. You see, the true message of Scripture is that we are in fact in God's story. He is the author of the story. He is the main character of the story. It's all about him. The story has been about him, and it's about him from, as our pastor says, from before the beginnings of time until long after time ends. And it is about him from the beginning all the way to the end, and it is a story that always leads us back to him. The defining characteristic of God's story is that it is about his glory. God is authoring a story that will bring him glory and our great privileges that we are recipients and participants in his story. You see, Ephesians 1 is this incredible reminder of the gospel. It's the reminder of all that God has done for those who have, by his grace, put their faith in the person and the work of Jesus Verse 3 says, for those who have done that, verse 3 says, he's given us every spiritual blessing. Verse 4, he says that he chose us before the creation of the world. Verse 5 says that he chose, he predestined us for adoption, to be his beloved kids. And that goes on, it says that that was according to his pleasure, to his goodwill. It was his joy to do that. Verse 7 says that we have redemption, we have the forgiveness of our sins. Instead of suffering the penalty that our mutinous rebellion deserved, Jesus did it for us so that we might have a restored right relationship with God. Verse 8 says that God lavished his grace on us. Verse 13 says that he's given us the Holy Spirit as an assurance of our salvation. Paul is reminding the Ephesians and us, he says, God saved you. And God did it not because of anything you did, not because you deserved it, not because you earned it, not because you merited it, not because you were better than anyone else, but simply because God chose to direct his love at you. Our salvation is by grace alone, received through faith alone in the person and the work in Jesus alone, as Ephesians 2 says, so that no one would boast. You see, why is that all so important I don't know if you heard it, there's a phrase that repeats over and over and over in the passage this morning. Verse six, God did it for the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, he did it for the praise of his glory. Verse 14, all of this is for the praise of his glory. The reason God saves us The reason God saves wicked and rebellious people like me and like you. The reason God saves people who reject him as king and enthrone ourselves as king. The reason that God saves people who put our own opinions and our own values and our own desires and our own passions as the thing of ultimate importance. The reason why God saves people who live for their own glory is so that he would get every ounce of credit for saving people who don't deserve saving at all. Perceiving people who aren't looking for him, who aren't searching for him, who instead are living every minute of their lives for themselves. You see, God pursues us. Bible is clear. Nobody looks for God. God woos us. God draws us. God comes after us. That's the story of the gospel. I grew up in a Christian home. I always went to church. I believed in God. I believed that the gospel was true, but I grew up most of my life believing that God was a character in my story, and he absolutely was not the most important character. In high school, uh, my God was my girlfriend. I lived for her. She was the place I looked to find life and satisfaction and happiness, and all my decisions were based on her, where I went to college, and what I was going to study was all based on Uh, my goals of being with her. And by God's incredible grace, he woke her up to the nightmare it would be to live as someone's God for the rest of her life. And she broke up with me the day after we graduated from high school, which made for a horrific summer and an incredible life. You see, you see, that summer in my freshman year of college, God really began drawing my heart to him. He began pursuing me so that I would come to know and love and follow and pursue and trust in him. He began calling me to look for my satisfaction and my life and my joy and my identity and my purpose in him instead of anyone or anything else. And the invitation was that he was the only one who could give me what I really longed for. And so God graciously took something out of my life that I wanted more than him to show me that what I really longed for was him. Something, I could never, something that would never really satisfy, he longed to replace with him so that, he, that I would find everything I was looking for in him. And the Bible says the reason God did that the reason God graciously woke up my girlfriend to the realization that she desperately needed to break up with me, the reason that God started pursuing me through his word and through friends and through people, the reason God did that, the Bible is clear, it says that God did that for the praise of his glory. And his glory is such good news for me. You see, the beauty of God's zealous pursuit of his glory is that He, said it means that he He saves and he uses people who shouldn't get saved. And he uses people who it doesn't make any sense to use. I am not a brilliant man. I do not have an incredible mind. Ask my wife. I forget stuff in the time it takes to go from the kitchen to the garage, and they touch each other, right? I am not incredibly good looking. I do not have, like, this amazing voice. I do not have some incredible skill set. like. I I have, like, a decent beard, but, like, that's about all I've got going for me, right? No, God says, I'm going to save you, and I'm going to use you. And it's not because of anything you bring to the table. It's because of everything that he does. So God said, I'm going to take this kid, and I'm going to use him to make much of me. That truth has been the most freeing, the most life-giving thing in all the world to me. You see, Ephesians 1 and the is all together, they are a reminder that we don't chase after God. They are a proclamation that God chases after us. They're a reminder that we don't go searching for God. They're a reminder that God goes searching for us. And it's his zealous pursuit of his glory that makes it possible for people like me and people like you to be made right with him even when we don't deserve it. And furthermore, it, is, it becomes an invitation for us to live for his glory as well. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 15 says, we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live, they would no longer live for themselves. but for him who died for them and was raised again. You see, God's zealous pursuit of his his own glory is the best news in all the world because it is also an invitation for us to find our identity in living for his glory as well. It's such good news that we are not the center of the universe. The more the world is about you, the more angry and tired you will be. That's always the case. But when it's not about you, you are free. We live in a society that says self-actualization is the highest, most fulfilling thing. Be whatever you want to be. Do whatever you want to do. Live the life that you want to live. Do whatever makes you happy. And for a second, don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Just look around. That, it doesn't work. That doesn't give the life people are looking for. See, the Bible says we just become enslaved to our own passions. They don't liberate us. They just enslave us. And so when we say I give my life to live for the things that make me happy, that's just volunteering for slavery. That's all that is. Oh, but the gospel is good news because it means that we get to live for God's glory and not our own. That gives us, that makes our purpose instead of pursuing our own glory, we're about God's glory, which is really good for us because it frees us. It is life-giving. When you live for yourself, that's just soul-crushing in the end. But when you live for the glory of the one who has saved you. That is the most freeing and life-giving thing in all the universe. You see, we, when we see God as a participant in our story, we spend our lives trying to find or create an identity or a purpose for ourselves. And if by some miracle we feel like we actually achieve it, it will always let us down. It will always leave us lacking. It will always leave you wanting for something more, Ah, but when we, by God's grace, get to see ourselves as participants in his story, you see, then you're free because your identity is in him as his beloved child. It is secure. It is fulfilling. It is never changing. And it gives you a purpose that is worth living for and it gives you a purpose that is worth dying for so that we might see the increase of the glory of the one who saved us. You see, soli de gloria, we live for the glory of God alone. It gives us the perspective we need to understand our salvation. It was never about us. It was always about God. And that's really good news. Because the only way we get saved is if God, is if God, the creator of the universe, saves people who don't deserve saving so that he might get all the glory. And so we live for him, no longer for ourselves. The question is, so what does it look like for us to join God in his zealous pursuit of his glory? What does it mean for us to live for the glory of God? I think John Stott just so helpfully sums it up when he writes this. He says, to live to the praise of the glory of God is both to worship him ourselves with our words and our deeds as the gracious God he is and to cause others to see and to praise him as well. This week I've been uh, teaching my kids uh, Colossians 3.17. You can ask Emma about it. She loves singing about Colossians 3.17. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Emma always asks, whenever we learn verses, she says, Papa, what does that mean? She has no idea. She's just like, what is this about? I don't know why I'm like learning these random words. And and, like, I explain it to her. And does she understand that? No. She's four, right? She understands like ponies and cookies, right? But over time, as I keep explaining those truths to her, those things will sink into her heart. And what I get a chance to, every time she asks, what I get a chance to do is I get to remind her. I say that first means. It means that because God saved us, everything we do and everything we say is a chance to worship Him. See, to do something in the name of someone is to honor them. It's to do it for their honor. It's to bring them credit. It's to do it for their glory. And so Colossians 3:17 says, in everything you do. In whatever you do, in whatever you say, it's a chance, it's an opportunity for you to do it for God's glory, for His praise. When we understand the incredible good news of the gospel and the implications that it's all about God's glory, we begin to think that everything we do is an opportunity to display the glory of God and the goodness of His kingdom. Throughout uh, our study in First and Second Peter, we talked about the ways that we get to demonstrate the gospel and the way that we get to declare, declare the gospel. What happens when we live that way, it produces real freedom because instead of being driven by a story we're trying to navigate, we're trying to manipulate and being driven by trying to get God to influence our story so it goes the way that we want to go, instead we get to enter each day asking God, where are you going today? We get the opportunity to participate in whatever God's story is that day. And our entire focus changes from how can I get God to do what I need him to do so that my life can go the way I want it to go to instead how can I participate in each moment in such a way that it brings God greater glory and displays the gospel as the best news in all the world. That's like the most life-giving way to live ever. And what it does is it means that every situation and every relationship and every encounter we have is a chance for us to participate in God's glory as his ambassadors, revealing his glory and displaying the gospel as beautiful. It gives incredible meaning and purpose to even the menial things, the little things, and even the most difficult of things in our lives. I'm really excited about our new building. One of the things I'm most excited about, like one of my favorite restaurants in all of Dubuque is 1st and Maine, and is like literally 12 seconds across the street. It's just so good, right? And one of the things that I'm looking forward to is getting is the ways that our church might get to display the gospel as good news to the people at 1st and Maine. I think one of the ways that we get to do that is by being generous tippers. When we, the living for the glory of God means that even little things like the way that we tip is a chance to display the good news about how good God is because God has been generous to us and so we want to be characterized as a people who are generous to others. Not because we're trying to earn their favor, not because we're trying to just get in their good graces, because we're responding to the ways that God has been generous to us. And so, we're, and so even the chance in that few seconds as you write your tip on the end of your bill at lunch That's a chance for you to make much of Jesus. It's a chance for you to live for his glory. Every day as you walk into your workplace, as as you start making windows at Anderson or as you build materials or as you, whatever you do, you walk into work, you walk into class, you walk into the relationships that you have, every opportunity is a place for you to make much of Jesus, to reveal his character, to reveal his image, to reveal his goodness. The way that when people mistreat you at work, when you're treated unfairly at work, that's an opportunity for you to reflect the goodness of Jesus as you respond to that. As you work hard unto the Lord, that's a chance for you to do that. Many of you are stay-at-home moms. Every ounce of your day is filled with like tears or crying. Sometimes you get a few laughs in the midst of, in the middle of that, right? And every moment of your day is an invitation that your kids might see the goodness of Jesus lived out in you. So when our kids sin, when they disobey, and when their hearts that live for their own glory produce the things that we know we don't want them to do, the way that we respond to that as a chance for us to make much of Jesus. Which brings us to the second part of what John Stott said. He said, we don't just live our lives to display the glory of God. We, we live them to declare the glory of God. We live so that others would see and praise him as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says that God reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He says, therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God is making his appeal through us. See, we live for the glory of God by pursuing others as though God, like God has pursued us, so that they might come to know and love and follow and serve Jesus. And absolutely, that includes our kids. But it absolutely includes our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers and the mailman and the people that God has put in our lives every day. I want my friend Tim at the coffee shop I work at all the time, I want him to come to know and love and follow Jesus. I want him to find his identity and his purpose, that the identity and purpose he is so clearly and so desperately looking for. I want him to find that in Jesus. And so even though we just got a building, I'm going to keep working at that coffee shop. Regularly doing that because I want my friend Tim to know Jesus and I want to be in his life. And I keep reading things that he is interested in because I want to open up doors for conversations with him about the things that he cares about. And I keep inviting him to hang out and I keep making time and space in my life so that my friend might come to know and love and follow and serve Jesus. And the reason that I do that is because I care more than anything about God's great glory and my friend's good when he understands God's glory is good news for him. I want my friend Tim to be free. I long for that. I pray for that. And I live towards that end. But here's the kicker to all of this. I just need you. This is so important that you hear this. See, the kicker to all of this is that when we inevitably fail, when we inevitably live for our own glory instead of God's glory, when we inevitably choose to live for ourselves instead of live for him, God offers us the great joy of repentance, which is yet another way we get to live for his glory because it is repentance is the proclamation that our mistakes... Repentance is the proclamation that in our mistakes and in spite of all our inaccuracies, God still uses us for his glory. And when we fail to represent him as we should, and when we live for our glory instead of his glory, God gives us the grace of repentance. And repentance is a chance for us to say, God, we need you. God, we need you to forgive us. We need you to sustain us. We need and repentance is a great joy because there is God's faithful promise always. And what that does is it fuels this circle of joy. As we repent, we remember how good news the gospel is, and it fuels our love for Jesus, which fuels our passion to live for Him. And when we fail, and when we mess up, we get to enjoy God's grace all over again, which just starts the cycle back up. And all of that is so that God would get every ounce of glory in every corner of our world, in every corner of our universe, and He is so. Worthy of all of it. That's what we remember and that's what we celebrate in communion. That we are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And in communion, we get a chance to remind ourselves of our great need for a savior and how greatly Jesus has met our need. See, the bread reminds us Of Jesus' body, which was broken for us. Because he lived the life that we should have lived. And the drink reminds us of Jesus' blood, which he shed on the cross for us, paying the penalty for our mutinous rebellion. And on the cross, through faith, what happens is we trade places with him. That's what we remember at communion. That's what that act It is intended to remind us of to bring us back to the incredible good news of the gospel so that it might fuel our lives live for jesus communion does not make you right with god it does not change your status or your standing with him the only thing that changes your status or your standing with god is when you receive his grace by faith in jesus that is it Instead, communion is a chance for us to remember and to worship God, submitting our lives to him as our Savior and our Lord and as our King. And it's a chance for us to celebrate the good news that the Bible proclaims, the good news that the five solas express for us, that we are saved by God's grace alone. It's on the basis of Christ alone. It is received through faith. Alone. The scriptures alone are our one final authority on all that is true, and all of it is for the glory of God alone. That's what communion is about. That's what we celebrate, that's what we remember. Every church does communion a little bit differently. At River City, you just go back during our time of musical worship. You dip the bread in the juice. No one's going to dismiss you. Communion is between you and God. So just go whenever you are ready. You don't need to be a member here. You just need to belong to Jesus. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for you. We are so grateful that the gospel is an invitation for us to find our life and our identity and our purpose and our satisfaction and our joy and our everything in you. It's a promise that that fulfills. It's a promise that that gives the life that we're looking for. It's a promise that it's the best place possible for us to be. And so, God, we come with humble and grateful hearts. God, don't don't we just say, we do not deserve your grace. There is nothing about us that has earned that or merited it. There is nothing that we bring to the table. And so, God, that means that we come with hearts that are full of great joy because of you. And we want to be a people, God, who lives not for our own glory, who but who lives for yours. How we pray that you would cause us to have hearts of repentance when we when we fail to do that when we live for ourselves and we are so grateful that even in our failures we get to bring you glory thanks that you would use an unfaithful and an un and a rebellious people to make much of yourselves it is such an honor and a privilege to to pursue your glory with you god may we live for you always may that be the life and the joy that we so desperately long for and need, and may it always lead to our good in your great and abiding glory. Amen.